Hello and welcome back to Winging It, how to build, maintain and totally own a career that you love. I'm Lucy Hitchcock and I want to help you live your happiest life by building the business or career of your dreams. So who am I? Well, I run a digital marketing, branding and website design agency for all businesses called Sassy Digital. I founded Sassy Digital after leaving a career that I hated and we help businesses build their brand online and generate more business. If you want to find out more, please check out www.sassydigital.co.uk. The music for Winging It has been provided by The Edit Album, a curation of copyright-free music for creatives and our listeners get 25% off with the code SASSY25. I'll leave the link for you in the show notes. And if you're listening on the Entail app, I'll leave the link here now. If you're listening to this on your phone, make sure you get the best experience by downloading the Entail app. Entail is an interactive podcast platform that combines the best of audio storytelling with the richness of the web. So this means you'll be able to follow links, view images, follow people on social and much more by just tapping your phone. This week, I'm delighted to have Dr. Sarah Vora with me, also known as The Mind Medic on Instagram. Sarah is a full-time psychiatrist and best-selling author who is working towards removing that stigma behind mental health. So I was set on doing an episode on mental health because I really believe that happiness at work leads to happiness in other areas of your life. And a happy mind equals a happy life. I'm sure we've all been unhappy in a job or a certain situation at work, but where do you draw the line between your job making you unhappy and your job having a negative effect on your mental health? So I am here today with Dr. Sarah Vora. Did I say that right? Yeah. (laughs) Um, Also known as the Mind Medic on Instagram. Um, So I messaged her last week on Instagram, which is basically how I find all my top people that I like to get tips from Um, and she's here today to talk about mental health in the workplace so I thought we'd start by you just telling us a bit about yourself. Yeah so yeah my name's Sarah I'm a consultant psychiatrist I've been an NHS doctor for the last 10 years Um, I specialise in um, the mental health of children and young people but I've also got an interest in public health and trying to raise awareness of mental health um, in the public space but also empower people to know what to do if they spot signs that they or someone they know are struggling with their mental health. I'm also an author, um, so I had a book published this year. Um, mental health. Thank you. That's amazing. Um, mental Health in Children and Young People, which was an Amazon number one bestseller. <laughs> oh, that's um, And well that's done. basically a tool for parents, any adults concerned about a young person's mental health, how to spot signs and empowering them how to have those really difficult early conversations. And um, Because often, you know, we have national campaigns at the moment saying we need to improve our conversation around mental health health but actually beyond the how are you which we know is all all we're going to get is I'm fine no one really knows actually how to have a conversation around mental health and I think what's really important is actually giving people tools and strategies to be able to use Um, so that's my other hat being an author and I'm also a mum to a really boisterous three and a half year old so they're my three kind of main things. I'm based in Nottingham. Oh, um, Got a lot going on then. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But I do, um, and I do travel to London frequently to do things like this. Which so thank you for inviting me. I'm glad to have <laughs> you. So, just to touch on what you were just saying, I think that um, a lot of the time people think that mental health um, is like quite a serious thing, and they kind of link things to mental health, like maybe dementia and. Uh, 
those kind of illnesses. Um, So for people listening who may not know kind of what basic mental health is, can you just explain a little bit about that and what mental health actually is? Yeah, so we all have mental health and mental health's our ability to process information. It's our ability to recognise and to show emotion. Um, So it's really crucial because actually that's something that we use Um, day in, day out, from the moment we get up to the moment we go to sleep. And having poor mental health can affect our concentration, it can affect our energy levels, our motivation, it can affect things like our sleep and appetite. And I think sometimes people are quite keen to separate physical and mental health, but actually you can't have one without the other. You know, if you're not looking after yourself, if you're um, not exercising, if you're not eating the right sorts of things, if you're physically unwell, so perhaps, I don't know, you've had an operation and um, you're in a lot of pain and the pain relief that you've been prescribed is not keeping on top of your pain, um, that will affect your sleep. And we know that if we've had poor sleep, that affects our mental health. It makes us more irritable. Um, we have less energy. So actually the two are really interlinked. Yeah. Um, so I suppose a lot of people feel that mental health is not necessarily their responsibility, but actually it's really crucial. So on your Instagram, you talk heavily about lots of different things. So just some of the things I picked up are anxiety, depression, emotional abuse, amongst other topics relating to mental health. So what made you want to get into helping people, but on an online space like Instagram? So in my clinical experience, I only see a handful of people. You know, I'm a a full-time psychiatrist. Yeah. um, But actually, I recognise that there's, even despite the national campaigns, there's still growing waiting lists for people to see a psychiatrist like myself. And I feel that I don't want to just support the people that see me in clinic. I want to be able to educate anyone to help support their own mental health or a child's mental health because actually what happens is if you go to your GP yeah. and you say I'm really struggling with depression or anxiety or so or so forth and your GP says okay fine I'm going to refer you to psychiatrists but you're going to have to wait six months and actually what do they do in that time six months is an incredibly long time to be struggling with low mood with anxiety symptoms without any guidance and I think GPs get a really bad rap because they've got eight minutes to make a snap decision. Eight minutes. Eight minute consultation. And they wow. might call that person back the following week. They may start medication. But actually, even if they've referred on to psychiatrists, it's this kind of space where you know the individual has to struggle with their emotions and not necessarily getting the support they need in the yeah. time that they need it. So I felt that there was a lot of misinformation out there. I didn't think that there was anyone in the Instagram space doing what I'm doing at the moment and what I wanted to do was actually just to share strategies that anyone can use to spot signs when they might be struggling how to nip it in the bud earlier because actually you could go and see your GP about low mood or poor motivation or problems with sleep and it could be something that could have been managed you know simply but because you've waited six months in that time it could have got 10 times worse And actually, it forces you down a different path of medication rather than actually, if you'd got the support that you needed when you needed it, you could have managed it by making some lifestyle tweaks or or whatever it is, or doing some mindfulness exercises. So I share strategies that people can use in that time. It's not a replacement. And one of the things I was very conscious of is I put a disclaimer on my Instagram because actually it's not there to to replace your usual um, 
path in terms of accessing support from your GP or healthcare professional, but it's an educational platform for people that are interested in helping manage their own or other people's mental health. Um, and the other thing is, is I've mentioned earlier, sort of the national campaigns. I think, yes, they're great, but what they're doing is raising awareness and all we're seeing is an increased demand on already stretched resources. Yeah. And actually, we're not actually getting any further forward. And so that's the reason that I set up the platform, really. Well, it's been really popular. And what I think is quite interesting is um, I myself am a young woman. And I think a lot of younger people are actually, well, they're really interested in their mental health. I think it's maybe it's stemmed on from the whole, you know, health and well-being exercise. And yeah. then people are looking beyond that. Yeah. And they're kind of looking to take care of themselves in a more holistic way as well. Yeah. Um, so I think what used to be you know I'm not getting any sleep people may not have considered that actually something's going on that's causing that so I think it's really I think it's a really good um, platform that you've put together and I really like looking at it as well thank you so let's talk about work and mental health so do you think people think about their mental health in the workplace or do you think they think about it more when they've got downtime kind of outside So I think it's a bit of both. I think if they're thinking about the mental health in the workplace, so if they're stressed or they're not able to concentrate, they may displace those thoughts in favour of having to meet targets, um, meet deadlines, not wanting to upset the boss, um, and fears of being overseen for a promotion or fears of being let off. So I think there's definitely from speaking to employees when I go into the workplaces, there's definitely a recognition that work affects their mental health, but that is pushed to one side because of the fear that they have of what sharing their struggles may mean. Yeah. And I think in terms of at an employer level, I think they feel that, I suppose it's, for me, it feels like very much of a HR exercise. So it's a tick box, actually, we, deliver an induction we have an offer an hour workshop for all new employees on mental health in the workplace and then that's it and actually that's not enough and I think there's this misconception that by taking mental health seriously it could potentially impact the productivity of the company but it's actually the reverse that if you are supporting your employees with low-level symptoms or low-level mental health symptoms and letting them tap into resources that are available on site or being able to signpost them onto resources that would be greater value than actually that employee potentially going off sick and you having to pay to replace that employee and that actually could have knock-on impact on the productivity of the company as a whole yeah definitely i think it's one of those things where people think you know you've just got to the company thinks you know we've just got to keep on pushing because we've got clients and we need to make money um and if everyone's unhappy then that affects the productivity but then it if it was the other way around and they were actually investing money in that then the productivity would be greater they'd make more money they'd keep their clients happier because the work going out would potentially be of better quality and I also think I also think that some, well, some people definitely struggle with it more than others. Um, But what I was going to ask you is, do you think that, do you think there's a balance between men and women? Do you think it's 50-50? I think it's difficult to say. I think this, generally, I still see that male bravado, that actually, for men, there still remains a higher stigma associated with mental health. Yet, actually, it's the biggest killer in our young men, suicide. Yeah, I read that the other day. And actually... 
we need to be listening to that because actually this year we've seen really high profile um, individuals struggling with their mental health and who feel that there's nothing there's no um, other option but to end their life and I think yeah it's incredibly sad. sad and actually I think whilst we are seeing a lot more about talking about mental health we're not really giving people strategies to manage it or to be able to have the conversation confidently and to have the conversation in the workplace. So one of the things that I always um, share with individuals in the workplace is a structure to the conversation, whether you're an employee or an employer. So for instance, if you're an employee who is going through a bereavement, for instance, and you feel that actually that bereavement is impacting your concentration at work, your motivation, your energy levels, but you also know that you've got a project or a deadline that you needs meeting, so you can't afford to take the time off work, but you almost want your employer to cut you some slack, but you don't want the fear that that will relay to the employer that you can't hack it. Yeah. So one of the things that I feel is really important is we need to change the language in the workplace. So one of the things that I developed was the three W's in the H, which allows the employee to approach an employer with the confidence of saying, I am struggling, but actually together we're going to think through a strategy. Because what ends up being the issue is that if someone's struggling with their concentration, they'll push it to the back of their mind and think, actually, I should just get on with it. And actually, as problems, um, the problem effectively gets worse the longer you leave it undealt with. So with the three W's in the H, it could be, say, I don't know, John has had a recent bereavement, it's affecting his performance at work, and he approaches his boss. So the first W is, what is the problem? So clearly, in this situation, the problem's clearly identifiable. It's, I've had a recent bereavement, which is impacting my performance at work. Okay. So the next W is, why? Um, why is it a problem? So, you know, I'm not able to concentrate. I'm finding I'm difficult. I'm finding it difficult to get motivated. And actually, John might be a very good employer, employee rather. So his employer may well have noticed those struggles, yeah. but may not necessarily have wanted to address them in favour of meeting the targets, being performance driven. The next W is who can help me. So John might have identified someone in the department that could help support him. Because I think speaking to employers, the issue is they are worried that who's going to be left to hold or manage John's project. Yeah. But if John goes there whilst his symptoms are relatively low level and says, look, I know that Andrew in on floor two can help me with my project, then actually that instills in the employer confidence, actually, it's not going to just go undealt with. Yeah. And then how? So then actually that might not necessarily be something that John thinks of, but that might be something that John and the employer think through together. So how is it that Andrew's going to help support? If they've not been able to identify the who, they can have a a a strategy meeting to think how they can help support John through whatever he's going through. And actually that offers a structure and also holds you both accountable that actually you've drummed up this um, plan of what's going to happen John feels unburdened and because it's a sort of a universal language it's something that the employees already bought into. What's funny is everything that you've described if someone was for example going off for an operation yeah or had a kind of physical um illness that meant yeah. they couldn't come into work those are all the steps that people would take anyway. Absolutely. And that's I think you know physical 
illnesses or things that mean you can't go to work like yeah. that um, are recognized as you know that's fine because they've just hurt themselves yeah but with mental health it's very different yeah and actually there's still again that stigma related to it something that you can't see you know actually the employer could think wait a minute John's not meeting his deadlines he's not concentrating he's being lazy actually without any understanding of what's going on yeah. for John but actually John being able to have the conversation puts his difficulties into context for the employer which I think is really crucial because like you said because with physical illness and it's that cliche but actually physical illness you can see if John's gone off for a hip operation actually you're going to get the doctor's note you're going to get John walking on crutches three weeks in you know post-op so actually that's something that offers comfort to the employer that actually that's something that I can see and something that I can help support yeah but mental health you know I still think we've got an incredibly long way to go that it's the unknown and and for that for many people it's still very challenging I suppose I suppose again though the re- I mean the recovery time for an operation they can see that whereas yeah. the recovery time for bereavement for example yeah. is kind of down to that individual yeah no exactly that's so interesting so I wanted to go through some signs that perhaps your work is affecting your mental health because I don't necessarily know that if you're struggling with something that you perhaps would recognize that because I think yeah. sometimes especially with things like anxiety you know you kind of think actually oh no just like suck it up there's there's nothing wrong with me just carry on and go through it but actually when you're feeling down like that or you're feeling anxious about something it's quite difficult to kind of convince yourself that actually perhaps you do need to go and get a bit of help from someone just from talking from experience here I think so I'm not just talking like you know so and so's being horrible to me at work or I don't like so-and-so at work but more you're not feeling happy at work you feel anxious about going in like I said earlier and you feel quite worried perhaps to have your thoughts voiced I think things like that when you're talking about it all the time in the evenings and at weekends and you can't get on with your normal life yeah then that is a problem because you're not you know we work to so that we can live yeah and if you're not doing those things what what are you working for yeah and that's the key you've hit the nail on the head there that we can all feel anxious we can all feel down but the moment it affects our day-to-day life so our sort of activities activities that we do day in day out so our ability to shower and dress on the morning our sleep our appetite um meeting with friends the moment it impacts those areas actually the kind of oversteps from becoming just a normal emotion yeah to becoming something a bit more clinical yeah definitely so um I think sleep's a big one so you've already mentioned feeling anxious and the thoughts around work being all-consuming so it might be that you get in from work and actually all you can think about is the mistakes you may or may have not made um you can't switch off and as a result of not being able to switch off you find it very difficult to get to sleep or if you do get to sleep you're up and up most of the night so you're waking up frequently you're waking up early in the morning and actually that is our body's way of saying actually we're very stressed we're highly anxious so very restless sleep difficulty getting to sleep when Um, you said that to begin with I was like oh my gosh that's me sometimes (laughs) but it rings true with a lot of people it does it like fills you with dread that thought of like not being able to get sleep doesn't it absolutely the other thing is if you're at work it might be that 
you were previously very motivated, you found it easy to concentrate, but you're finding it more and more difficult to concentrate on focus on tasks that you're giving, being given rather. Um, you're making mistakes at work. So probably mistakes that are very trivial but actually you wouldn't have made before might indicate that there's something going on with your physical health or mental health. Um, also, not looking after yourself. So what's really important is that there's clear distinction between our working life and our home life you put it perfectly about working to live and actually if activities that we used to do to calm ourselves so for instance if we are a keen exerciser or if we like socializing with friends if those things are being cut at the expense of working then that might indicate that actually works kind of taking over so Actually, exercise is really helpful in being able to manage work anxiety, work stresses. But if you're having to sort of cut that out of your life, actually that inherently quite... What about cutting those out of your life? Not because their work is in favour of these activities, but what if you're, you know, you actually are kind of at the point where you're like, oh, I don't want to go and do that because it means I'll have to... So it might be that if someone... Yeah, if someone is um, depressed... It might be that they don't have the energy or the motivation to do those things. They might have lost interest. And that's one of the core symptoms of depression is losing interest in things that you used to enjoy. And that might be an indicator. Whether that's triggered by work or something else, Yeah, um, that's another key thing to look out for. Um, and also things like, you know, not taking time out properly from your desk. So if you're rushing out to your nearest fast food joint or you're downing coffees, you know, from the moment you get into the office to the moment you leave actually inevitably that is going to affect our mental health it's going to lead to crashes in energy irritability anxiety so those would be my main things to to look out for but one of the exercises I get people to do is to draw out their baseline a day in the life of so before work what's a typical routine for you like so from the moment you, you get asking up, me that <laughs> <laughs> but like from the moment you get up yeah. to the moment you go to bed so for me, for instance, I get up at six o'clock, not through choice, that's through oh, my toddler. I was say. Yeah, that's through my toddler coming through, <laughs> bounding in. Um, so I get up at six o'clock, I'll have a shower, I'll, I'll get dressed, um, I'll put some makeup on, I'll have my breakfast at a certain time, I'll get my little girl sorted, I'll drop her off at nursery, I'll get to work on time, um, I make sure that I do all my admin before I leave at five, um, and generally I'm sort of very engaging with the people I work with, very polite, um, I like to think so. Um, (laughs) And then I'll pick up my daughter, we'll get home, get dinner ready. I go to bed relatively easy and generally I sleep through if she's not disturbed me. So the reason I've kind of laid out that baseline for you is if, for instance, I was finding it, finding that I was difficult to get to bed on a night, I wasn't eating, I was making mistakes at work or people were saying, oh, you're a bit snappy today, you know, that's a deviation clearly from my usual baseline yeah and that allows people like you were saying how do you know if you're struggling with your mental health or how do you know that works affecting your mental health and one of the tips that I'll come on to in terms of thinking about whether mental health whether your mental health is affected by the workplace is actually thinking about triggers or patterns to your behavior so if I'm noticing different a difference from my baseline actually that inherently suggests that there's something going on and allows me to kind of explore what might be going on for me. That's so interesting. So. I'm like mesmerized by what you're saying. <laughs> I was going to say that one of the, um, you've kind of talked about time outside of work. And I think one of the things that I've learned now I work for myself is yeah. that 
something that's really important for me mm. is getting to work on time, working until lunchtime, taking an hour off, yeah. working in the afternoon. I finish 5 36 o'clock most days mm. and for me that that is important for me to do because I have to switch off running your own business you know you can't you can't always switch off because you're getting yeah. emails at all hours yeah. of the day the weekends as well it's important for me to have that off and yeah. it's now I'm making it sound like I don't do any work <laughs> but one of the things I identified is that having that time for me makes me feel more productive when I am working absolutely different things are important for other people but I think that's one of the things that I learned from working somewhere else I used to have to do hours until sometimes until like four in the morning oh blimey it was yeah. like awful and I just thought you know what I am never ever doing that again yeah. because I'm one of those people that really really need sleep and if yeah. I don't have sleep then it's like don't talk to me because yeah. I'm not in the mood <laughs> yeah so if any of those things rang true to you and you feel like um perhaps you need a strategy to cope with it Sarah's got some points which she's going yeah. to share so the first thing that I'd advise is keeping a journal which sounds really woolly and everyone kind of goes oh that's so to-? funny it's I was talking really, about that earlier <laughs> it does sound really airy fairy but the reason I ask people to keep a journal even if it's for a few days even if it's just a couple of days in the week and a couple of days on the weekend um, it allows you to identify potentially what might be the trigger so when I say journal, I mean write a col- having a column for your activity. So an activity might be getting up, having breakfast, um, you know, chilling out in front of the TV, going to work, having a meeting. So whatever the activity is, literally everything that you do. Another column for time spent on that activity. And then any thoughts. So the third column is thoughts. And then the final column is any feelings that it invokes or any behaviours that it generates. So for instance, it might be you have a meeting at 11, it's a half an hour meeting, you come out of that meeting thinking, am I the only one that didn't get that? You know, am I falling behind everyone else in the workplace? It might lead you to feel anxious or it might feed into issues around self-esteem, which might lead you to procrastinate because you're just kind of getting caught up in this vicious cycle of thinking, which means that you don't get the work that you need done. Um, which leads to the boss calling you in for as an example yeah so clearly the trigger there is coming out of meetings but for different people there'll be different triggers so the idea behind a journal is to try to generate an idea of what are potential triggers and what are your coping mechanisms so for a coping mechanism might be I'll sack off the gym because actually I've got this deadline to meet and actually that's really important because if I'm recognizing there's a pattern to you you know shelving things that are quite helpful i.e exercise meditation whatever it may be actually that might suggest to me that those that me time is crucial like you were saying you know having a clear endpoint to your working day is really important so journaling would be my first tip just to give you a bit of an idea um the second thing is scheduling so like you would schedule a meeting in with the boss, like you would schedule in a working lunch, is actually scheduling in me time. Oh, I'm so into that. And I do that all the really time. It's really important because actually I know people that schedule in appointments at the gym, which sound really lame, but actually because you, that's an appointment with you and actually having it physically in your diary 
again there's that level of accountability if you set a prompt it's like oh yeah I should go now rather than it being this kind of hypothetical oh I'll go to the gym after work and it never transpires but having the that's alert that's so funny that's exactly what my diary is like but it's really it's, I think it's really important and also scheduling contact with people so family friends is, is really crucial um, the next point is lifestyle changes so that includes everything from food, moving more, and um, cleaning up your sleep. So with food, making sure that you, what you eat is very well balanced. Um, things like caffeine, trying to, if at all costs, avoid, but if, if it's not possible, to cut down. So if you're someone that's having, I don't know, eight espressos in a day, it might not be realistic for you to go cold turkey suddenly. But the eight espressos a day might be explaining your anxiety symptoms, your restlessness, your poor sleep. (laughs) So even if you shave a couple of espressos a day, that's a start. So I always say, well, I always have two before, well, two before 12. Yeah. But it's more often than not, it's before 10. Yeah. Um, But I find that helps. Otherwise, I just don't sleep. That's a... So it makes you shaky and like... Yeah. So trying to really be strict with yourself that... At the very latest, I'd say just after lunch, but certainly if you're getting into mid-afternoon, late-afternoon territory, you're into a risky area that it will affect your sleep. And energy drinks, avoid them like the plague. I hate them. I can't can't abide them. They're high-sugared, high-caffeine. They've got no nutritional value whatsoever. And again, whilst you might feel that that's helping enhance your performance, that energy's got to go somewhere and it will inevitably lead to a crash that will leave you feeling demotivated lacking in energy so just to shelve the energy drinks completely I mean there's so many other things you can have than energy drinks and I spoke to Madeline Shaw in oh I love her previous (laughs) previous episode oh I'll give you a little sneak peek I've already (laughs) recorded it but um it would have gone up by the time this goes up but um she talks about kind of snacks that you can take to work yeah perfect um I also think just going back to the coffee thing I when I was in the workplace well I have an off I have an office now and it's a shared office. Yeah. So many people put so much sugar and so much milk into their coffee. Scary. And it's at like five PM and I'm like, how are you gonna sleep tonight? <laughs> I just don't get it. I'd be bouncing. It's it's just crazy, isn't just it? Just like wires you. No, absolutely. Um, so I think that's really important to to review your caffeine, um, alcohol as well. Um, moving more, so getting into a regular exercise routine doesn't mean you have to hit the gym five days a week but even if you're going for a walk in your lunch break for 30 minutes that's enough um and practicing mindfulness as well can be really helpful for people and just cleaning up your sleep so you making what app sh- i downloaded for that is it called calm calm and headspace are fantastic yeah. so i tried headspace and i really wanted to be into it like i was like yeah i'm gonna be into this i'm gonna do it every day and i just his voice wasn't for me and I just found it a bit too like yeah. meditating. Anyway, then I downloaded Calm and I really like the um, noises that it makes in the background. Yeah. And I'm one of those people that sometimes struggles with sleep. So You know when you just get into bed and then suddenly you're just thinking about yeah. all different things. The noises are so soothing that yeah. it just kind of like floats you off to sleep. Yeah. And there's so many different uh, meditation things on there mm. for so many different because we're all individuals, so there's only going to yeah. be cer- there'll be certain things that'll be calming for others. And like you mentioned, the the voice that might not necessarily be everyone's cup of tea. Um, but I think you having a guided meditation app is really helpful. Yeah. Um, and also um, 
cleaning up your sleep in the sense of setting yourself a screen curfew so an hour an hour and a half before bed which is easier said than done um, definitely is and making sure that you set yourself a bedtime each night and not having too much of a deviation from your weekday routine and your weekend routine because typically what happens is we'll have people that Monday to Friday their their routines on point but come Saturday and Sunday later night having lions and actually come Monday morning that wreaks havoc and it undoes all your work from the week so trying to have so, as much consistency as you can with your bedtime routine um, so we've covered journaling scheduling lifestyle and um, the fourth point is staying connected and that's connected with family friends and also with your boss so having those conversations regularly with your boss at work is really important and the fifth thing is um, a mental health toolkit. So I've introduced what's called a five senses toolkit, okay. which is individual to everyone. And it focuses on all your five senses. So your sense of um, sight, smell, taste, touch and hearing. So there might be things that are alleviating for you that are different for me, for instance. And the idea behind this is that when we feel stressed and overwhelmed, so we've come in from work, we've had a really stressful day, often in that peak of anxiety, that peak of stress, it can be really difficult to think about coping mechanisms and cope things that are helpful for you. Yeah, definitely. Because you're thinking, oh, you know, I'm just so wired, you know, I'm really stressed from work, it was a really, really you know, important meeting that I messed up or whatever it is. And then you can't immediately think what, you know, would be helpful for you. It might be too easy to reach for the high sugar, the high energy foods, just to kind of numb your emotions. So the idea behind the toolkit is a literal toolkit is having a, so my toolkit is my bedside table, so my woman okay. drawer in my be bedside <laughs> table. And I have everything from each of the senses. So for me, so sense of touch, I have a journal. So I have a worry dump, which is basically where I write down physically, so sense of touch, physically getting a pen, writing on paper. I know it's kind of an alien concept in this digital world, but writing on paper. No, I love paper. And coming back to the journal, so writing down exactly what your worries are before bed. Um, and also sticking with a sense of touch, thinking of things like activity, so exercise. Um, it might be things like um, uh, getting sort of your nails done or having a massage. So something sort of in terms of that taps into that sense of touch yeah. that are calming for you. So for, for me, it might be that I actually like getting my nails done, whereas other people might think, well, I'd, no, I'd much prefer to pound the pavements. So in your toolkit, having something that prompts you to do those things so having your sports bra in there or having a post-it that says go for a run or so it kind of all you have to remember when you're feeling anxious and stressed is to open your drawer or open your toolkit and you've got a ready-made um, list of strategies so we've focused on touch sense of smell so I have candles or an incense burner and off senses that I know sense rather that I know will calm me so things like lavender or whatever it is I've got a pillow spray that you spray in your hair oh. and when your hair moves it's, it's by this work so it's like okay. hair pillow spray but for your hair yeah um and when your hair moves it like releases the scent oh. and because i've done that every night for four five months now now when i get into bed i have to like smell it and yeah. then it just knocks me out so that's you so tapping weird. into your sense of smell yeah it's like trained myself to fall yeah. asleep to that smell yeah, and that's really helpful for a lot of people. So, But again, in the peak of the anxiety, you're not necessarily going to think, I know, I will light a candle, or, but actually going to your toolkit and being able to tap into that scent. Sense of taste, so it might be that you have a bar of chocolate or you have um, 
you know, foods that you know will lift your mood or, you know, trying to prompt you to cook a recipe from your favourite cookbook or whatever it may be. Then sense of hearing. So I have some headphones in my bedside um, table. So I listen to and a post-it that says listen to an audio book or a podcast. It might be that I have a post-it that says ring your sisters or ring your mum. But again, in that heat of the moment, you might not necessarily tap into that. And then finally, um, your sense of sight. So it might be that you have a book in there. It might be that you have a magazine. You might have um, a poster that says watch a particular box set on Netflix. Um, or you might have your schedule. Um, uh, you know, whatever it may be that you, that taps into that sense of um, sight that you know calms. And like I said, it's going to be individual for everyone. But the idea being, it's your ready-made toolkit that of coping strategies that are tried and tested. That you know that will help you when you're that's feeling amazing. a particular way. And I think that's a really helpful. So that's my fifth tip. I love that. I'm gonna. Well, my bedside drawers for various things that I've. The things just, you've like, already got. It's, but just yeah. like collected. So kind of, I have. It's not even a drawer actually. It's like a. It's like a cove, but I have to really look into it to see what's in there. Yeah. So, I don't know, before you go to bed, if you're feeling stressed, there's some books in there. There's some hand cream. Yeah. Um, sense of touch, sense of sight. So already yeah. people have probably done this, but not necessarily thought of them as you know, coping strategies. Yeah, definitely. But it's important to recognise them because then you know yeah that that's what you have to do rather than just having them sitting there exactly um such as me who now has a big hoard of them (laughs) so i ask everyone this question at the end of each episode and this is not related to mental health if there was one piece of advice that you wish you were given before you started your career what would it be oh that's a tough one i think the advice that i wish had been given is not to focus too much on what everyone's doing around you because I think you can almost lose focus on what your goal is or what your ethos is and I think when I first started um, particularly on Instagram um, because I was really keen to move it into a public space I was kind of focusing a lot on what was popular and what was generating the most likes and the most follows which it's difficult not to do when you get into that space but I suppose since I think the last six months when I focus purely on the content that I want to deliver, I feel that that's where it's been most successful. So that would be the advice that I wish I'd given myself I earlier. love that. That's actually something that's cropped up quite a lot when I've been recording these. It's kind of don't compare yourself to others and think Absolutely. that actually because they're doing one thing, you should be doing that too. Yeah. Because everyone else is on a different, well, everyone's on a different journey, aren't and they? comparison so. is the thief of joy. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes, it is. It is. <laughs> Perfect. Well, thank you so much for joining me. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. And I'll leave the, oh, what's your Instagram? Do you want so to um, my handle's at the Mind Medic, and I've also got a website, www.themindmedic.co.uk. I um, work fully for the NHS, so I'm not able to comment on any individual um, issues. And I'd urge anyone, if there's anything that's wrong true, and if it's affecting their performance at work or affecting their mental or physical health, um, I'd urge them to make an appointment with their GP. Yeah, definitely. Perfect. Thank you so much. And I'll leave a link to all of that in the description. Thank you. Thanks. As Sarah said, if there's anything in this episode that rang true and you think that you might need help or maybe you know someone that might, then it's best to go and speak to your GP. This week's thought of the week is replace why is this happening to me with what is this teaching me? Remember that there's a lesson to be learned in everything that happens to you, good and bad. 
When something bad happens, instead of feeling down about it, why not ask yourself what the lesson is here and think about what you can do to ensure that you can cope with it if it happens again or totally prevent it from happening. I hope you enjoy listening to this episode. I, for one, was absolutely mesmerised by everything Sarah was saying because I think we all struggle with our mental health in the workplace at some point in our lives. If you want to carry on the conversation, please find Sarah on Instagram at TheMindMedic and you can find me at LucyHitchcock underscore. If you love listening today, then please go and give us some love by leaving a review and hit the subscribe button for more episodes like this. This week's thought of the week is replace why. Oh. <laughs> you can tell it's the end of the day, can't you? Does that sound weird? With me on, on Instagram, with me on Wing Yet. This week, I'm delighted to have Dr. Sarah Vora with me. Wait, what?